welcome everybody. Thank you for co to coming uh, for coming to our roundtable, provocatively entitled "Who Is to Blame for the Crisis in Catalonia?" Uh, I'm Juliette Johnson. I'm the McGill Director of the Jean Monnet Center uh, Montreal, and this is a this roundtable is jointly presented by the Center for the Study of Democratic Citizenship and the Jean Monnet Center. So we're very pleased to have three wonderful commentators on our panel today, and I'll introduce them to you in the order that they'll be speaking. We're starting with Carolina de Miguel Moyer, who's the uh, Assistant Professor of Political Science at the University of Toronto, and I don't actually know if you pronounce your last name in the, in the French way, but I did. No, it sounds good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, working on a book now entitled The Price of Territorial Politics, Economic Geography, Political Institutions, and Party Systems. She teaches courses on the politics of federalism in European and EU politics, so you can ask her all about the relationship of the Catalan crisis to those things. Uh, on, my, on my right, we have Ishmael Vaccaro, who's assist Associate Professor of Anthropology here at McGill. Um, his most recent book is an edited volume on anthropologies of post-industrialism, ethnographies of disconnection from Rutledge. And he too is from Catalonia, he works on environmental anthropology and the political anthropology of development. And finally, to, to put it all in the context of uh, quantitative political science, is Eric Gunterman, who's a postdoctoral researcher at the Research Chair in Electoral Studies at the University of Montreal. And he's working as a research coordinator for the Making Electoral Democracy Work Project led by Andre Blay. And his dissertation was on parties and nationalism, assessing the influence of parties on support for regional nationalism in Spain. So again, quite apropos to our topic for today. So again, thank you all for being here. Uh, each, of the, each of the panelists is going to make some introductory remarks, and then we'll open it up for questions. So okay. early so I guess I'll start from, <clears throat> well, thank you uh, for inviting me, um, and thank you, everyone, for being here. Um, so it is a provocative question, so I'm not going to answer it directly. I take the question as an opportunity for us um, as a panel and, and also for the public to think about how we got to the critical situation um, in Catalonia and in Spain, um, to argue that it is a critical situation and uh, to think about whether there's a resolution inside, although it's, uh, it's pretty speculative. So the first point I wanna make uh, is that although Catalan nationalism um, is not a novel phenomenon, uh, I don't wanna go back to its historical origins, but what I do want to point out, um, just for the audience as a matter of context, is that the increase uh, in pro-independence or uh, pro-secessionist views within Catalonia is a relatively recent phenomenon um, and prompts the question of what explains this rise, which I think is um, a good way to start this. Um, since Spain transitioned to democracy in the mid-1970s, uh, political majorities in Catalonia have undoubtedly favor um, autonomous positions, so they've um, been a majority in uh, the Catalan government and have demanded autonomy uh, for the region, but what is outright support for secession has been a minority that has uh, hovered around 10-20% uh, depending on the polls. Now it is only in the past um, 
And so these are the public opinion polls, or some of them, that show the relationship between Catalonia and Spain. And the blue line is sort of the, the public opinion on support for an independent state. And you see the, ri the rise. This rise is relatively recent um, and happened in the past 10 years with a, the with a maximum reached in 2013, where almost 50% of the Catalan population favored the solution of a, or the, the, the position of an independent state um, of Catalonia. Uh, um, as, as an option. Now, what explains this rise? Uh, perhaps the most common explanation is a political one, which was um, something that happened in, two th in 2010, which was the repeal by this constitutional, uh, the Spanish Constitutional Court of the Catalan Statute of Autonomy. But I also argue that that's uh, not a simplistic view, but not the only reason. Um, and I think uh, we should also pay attention to a less a commonly alluded uh, factor, which is the economic crisis and the uh, political and economic frustrations derived from that uh, as an explanation of the rise in secessionism. Catalan nationalist parties have traditionally played the role of hinge parties in Spanish federal politics. So since transition to democracy, they've supported government coalitions at the federal level in Spain uh, in exchange for concessions for greater autonomy. And that has been uh, their moderate autonomous position throughout um, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Now, uh, in the mid-2000, there was a, a feeling that no more concessions could be reached through this me method of negotiation with the federal government. And what happened is that the Catalan government agreed with the Spanish government at the time, which was under socialist rule, a renegotiation of the Catalan Statute of Autonomy to include uh, more fiscal powers for Catalonia, and um, a, a symbolic recognition of Catalonia as a nation, a recognition of the Catalan language uh, for administrative purposes and other, and other issues. And this actually reform of the Catalan Statute of Autonomy was approved by the Catalan Parliament, the Spanish Parliament, and approved by referendum in 2005. Um, in 2010, and this is what people allude to, the Spanish Constitutional Court actually struck down at the instigation of the PP government, so the conservative government in uh, Madrid at the time, it uh, struck down several articles, or what people believe the most crucial ar articles of that statute of autonomy. And that, um, and that decision uh, started to feed into the perception that the current territorial architecture of Spain didn't have room for what was uh, considered the Catalan reality at the time. And it also fed a sense of grievance among uh, some uh, Catalan um, political parties. Uh, now, this I th what I say is that this is often alluded as the explanation of this rise of secessions and the sense of political grievance. But to this, I think we should add uh, the political frustration or the economic frustration generated by a devastating economic crisis and by multiple cases of corruption. As we have seen throughout uh, Europe, the economic crisis has produced significant political realignments in which new parties have emerged uh, or gained an unprecedented um, support by uh, mobilizing anti-elite sentiment uh, and mobilizing nationalism and protectionism. Um, it is not exactly the same, but within a similar context of, of economic hardship and in the face of unpopular austerity cuts, which were dictated by Madrid, but really by the European Union, um, and a de facto recentralization of powers by the Spanish government that uh, it became, I think, electorally beneficial for some political parties in Catalonia um, to point fingers at the central government. And so these economic and political frustrations really um, 
gained a lot of traction in a context, in the Catalan context, um, especially because there was already a sense of common economic grievance um, uh, that Catalonia had been paying too much into Spanish um, coffers and that it was time to regain control over finances um, and to prevent that uh, bleeding of money. So it was, a, it was a, an appropriate, uh, it, saw, it's, it was a, an appropriate reception for this context of uh, economic hardship. So I think it's the coupling of several events, these political and economic events that explain this increase in support for pro-independence uh, attitudes uh, that actually forced a realignment of political forces. So as in Spain, there was a realign, the economic crisis generated a realignment of political forces and in many other countries in Europe that went, uh, countries went from bipartisanship to multi-party uh, multi uh, political systems. In Catania, also we witness a realignment and what we see is that the realignment is about an increase in the saliency of the uh, pro-secessionist, anti-secessionist cleavage, and parties such as uh, Esquerra Republicana and uh, PUP uh, gain electorally in the past, uh, uh, in the past five uh, years tremendously. And what it also does is that tr the traditional uh, moderate nationalists, which is this blue, um, which had traditionally dominated Catalan politics, um, not only decreases in support, but also re radi uh, it radicalizes its discourse and becomes less autonomous and more pro-secessionist. So to gain a, what we should also perceive from this graph is that this is like the percentage of vote for nationalist independence parties in Catalonia over time is that nationalist independence parties have not, um, except for some occasions, um, surpassed the 50% support. But what we see is a realignment in that uh, new nationalist forces that are more pro-secessionist have gained more votes, and that the discourse has generally uh, shifted towards more pro-secessionist pro stances. Now, so this is something to, uh, to keep in mind. Also, the fact that uh, support for independence also seems to have this 50% threshold. So it never goes above that, which I think is important to consider in terms of why we are in this crisis. And what we have seen, so these, this rise or these changes, political realignments, what they've produced in 2015 is, for the first time in Catalan region elections, um, a government that was pro-independence and that decided to pursue independence through the October 1st referendum. So that was their political strategy. From then on, I think uh, what we have seen and what really explains the current crisis is... Um, an escalation of conflict that is produced by a perverse dynamic, in my opinion, from both sides of this conflict in which political parties and elites have found it electorally beneficial to um, sort of blame the other, in this case, Catalans and Madrid, but Madrid and the PP also um, uh, feeding this vision of Catalans as selfish um, or as having um, um, unreasonable demands. And um, this has perpetuated in the past few weeks and the past months, which is when the crisis has increased, a series of maximalist positions and actions that have not favored a negotiated solution. So there's been uh, quite a few missed opportunities to resolve this conflict, but because of these max this polarization, these maximalist positions, I think we haven't gotten there. Um, and what, was, what it has created is a, a, a huge degree of polarization, both at the elite level and at the societal level. 
Um, and so on the one hand, we see the Catalan government or the, the, the now deposed Catalan government uh, finding it electorally beneficial to um, instigate the sense of economic and political grievance and to take these extreme positions of a unilateral declaration of independence in a context where now they're admitting wasn't um, going to receive internal or international support, uh, but that definitely did not favor a negotiated position, but also on the side of Madrid, the Rajoy and Pepe government have adopted a very heavy-handed uh, legalistic approach uh, that has contributed to further inflame the pro-independentist cause and has excused mm. them from actually finding a negotiated political solution. Now, it's important to note that the PP does not gain many <coughs> votes in Catalonia, so has not an electoral interest to basically cater to their demands, and is also flanked on the right by Ciudadanos, which is one of these new liberal conservative political parties whose main platform is against self-determination and against secession. So there's no real electoral interest in the PP backing down from their extreme position or the Catalan independence from theirs um, until now. We'll see if things change. Um, and another thing to note is because of these electoral dynamics, I think, and because of how the institutions work in Spain, what we see is that not only they've become maximalist in their positions and electorally motivated, they've become motivated by responding to their bare majorities and by ignoring sort of the minority within their own um, sort of electoral arena. So the PP is ignoring uh, the minorities within Spain, in this case, the Catalan minority has showed very little, I think, sensibility towards them in terms of their demands, um, whether they're legitimate or not, or where you think they're not legitimate. There's a substantial majority of people in Catalonia that think otherwise. Um, but the Catalan government or the post-Catalan government also showed very little sensibility to minorities within Catalonia that uh, were not pro-secessionist. So I think that's uh, here what we see is also an explanation of uh, institutional incentives that favor majoritarian decisions and views and do not really represent minorities. And this thinking about possible solutions is uh, changing institutional structures to represent more minoritarian views. Um, the last factor that I think makes this a crisis in addition to this polarization led by these electoral dynamics is that I think what politicians, political elites here have done is that they haven't realized um, by not entering into a negotiation trying to resolve this conflict uh, politically, they've translated the conflict to other sectors of society and other powers, such as the judicial power, and that can actually be quite dangerous if what you want is a negotiated solution or a political compromise. The more actors you have, uh, the more different preferences you have about this conflict, and the harder it is to in the end, if you want to come down to the table, to um, uh, basically um, cater to all of them. So this is seen, for example, I think, in the extreme positions to declare uh, unilateral independence by the Catalan secessionists. They were pressured by a, by a very highly mobilized civil, Catalan civil society, or part of it, um, that I think, despite the fact that they thought, or they thought that this had no... Uh, uh, was in fact a dead end, which I think they are now recognizing. They still felt pressure to do it and to um, take it to its last consequences by this pressure that we see from other actors. Um, on the side of the Spanish government, what we see is that the judicial branch is acting as an independent branch, but is also not a very 
politically productive action. And the central government cannot control that anymore because it is the judicial branch. So uh, by forfeiting this possibility or this opportunity of negotiating, they've translated the conflict to other sectors. It's going to become very hard to solve. Now, is there a resolution in sight? Um, I think the resolution comes from admitting that first, the reality is that the Catalan pro-secession does not have a majority to declare an independence that is unquestionable in, in terms of international standards and national standards. But the Spanish government should also not forget that there's a huge percent of the population in Catalonia that has these views and that is unsatisfied and it would it'd be wise to try to cater to this sensibility. So I think uh, in terms of solutions, if, if there is a political will to do that, what it would pass through is through a commitment by the central government to reform the Spanish constitution. I think what this conflict has shown is it that the territorial architecture of Spain is no longer um, uh, productive in terms of commutating um, uh, the demands of the different regions of Spain. And so I think things should pass by um, a reform of the Spanish constitution in a more federal direction, which means a, probably a better representation of regional interest at the federal level, which is one of the things that Spain does not have, but also a symbolic or not symbolic recognition of a multinational, multilingual state, which is not very strong in the current Spanish constitution. Other things would be trying to figure out, and I think these things are a little bit more controversial, try to figure out whether there's a, a new fiscal arrangement, because these are one of the demands that the Catalans have. And that is complicated, but I don't, because I don't think the other regions of Spain are gonna really um, uh, let that one go easily. Um, they're gonna have also some demands there. And also whether we need a reform of the constitution that includes the principle of self-determination and a possibility of a referendum of self-determination. That also is gonna be, I think, controversial and perhaps not the best idea, but that's something we can discuss. So that's what I would propose as a resolution. Is there the political will to, to do that? It's gonna depend on what happens in the upcoming election, um, regional election, which is gonna happen in December 21st. The polls are hard to read because it's such an unstable situation, but it seems like um, nothing much is going to change uh, in terms of the last previous regional election. So again, I don't think the election per se is going to give us a clear majority either way. Um, what we're seeing in the polls is a little bit discouraging in my opinion that I think we're going to see a polarization of views because we're seeing a rise in um, one political force which I talked about which is Ciudadanos which is this um, new party, conservative party, that has a explicitly anti-self-determination platform. Um, and they're rising in the polls both in Catalonia and in the rest of Spain, which I think does not bode well for a negotiated solution to the conflict. Um, but I think a lot is going to hinge on this, the results of this uh, December election, whether there's the um, political capital to do a negotiation of uh, serious reform of the Constitution. So those are my views. Um, happy to discuss anything. Thank you.
All right, good afternoon, everyone. I'm going to talk about public opinion, so it's going to be a bit different from the other two presentations. Uh, you'll see a lot of data, a lot of graphs, a lot of numbers. Hopefully, it won't be too overwhelming. So Catalonia is really interesting because it's really diverse. So Catalonia isn't like ethnically different from the rest of Spain. Catalonia, um, the population there is the result of huge waves of migration that started in the late 19th century. So Catalonia uh, developed, it industrialized before the rest of Spain, and the rest of Spain was... Uh, much more, much, much poorer, uh, quote unquote, backward. Um, so over a million people migrated uh, starting in the late 19th century. So the population of Catalonia right now is extremely heterogeneous. That's a really important fact. So we'll see that the population is becoming more and more divided over time as this issue has become more and more salient. Um, another really interesting thing about Catalonia is how much data there is. There's a huge amount of survey data. They've been uh, running surveys for the past few decades, and we can know exactly what people think, and, 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 and they're just really nice data and makes it really interesting to look at. Um, okay, so as I, as I said, um, there's a lot of migration. So most, most Catalans have some kind of roots in the rest of Spain. They have parents, grandparents um, from the rest of Spain. There's a small minority that, that is much more Catalan-oriented, that doesn't have roots in the rest of Spain. But most people in Catalonia, they're at least part of their family, comes from elsewhere in Spain. Uh, and this has huge implications for uh, the linguistic composition of Catalonia. So there's a small minority, well, you know, pretty, so there's a majority of the population um, whose first language is Spanish. Um, and then there is, um, there is a large mi minority whose first language is Catalan. And that is largely a result of that um, migration that I mentioned. Um, that also affects uh, people's identification. So this is a standard question which is asked in Spain all the time, particularly in Catalonia. So people ask to identify with one of five different categories, ranging from uh, only Spanish to only Catalan. Now this is from the most recent survey. This was done uh, in the second half of October. Um, so the results have changed somewhat compared to earlier um, surveys, uh, especially because it was during the, uh, well, following a huge period of conflict, notably what happened on October 1st. Um, so we do see that the, the proportion to identify as only Catalan is, is, um, is, is higher than it was in the past. But what's most notable is that most Catalans identify as equally Catalan and Spanish. Um, and there, people are generally in the center. There is, uh, especially in this poll, we see there is uh, a large minority that is uh, at the Catalan extreme, but most people are in the center. Um, so in spite of everything that happened in this recent survey, uh, over 60% combine a Spanish and a Catalan and an identity. Um, and almost 70% still identify with Spain, in spite of everything that happened. Um, so as I said, these numbers are a bit lower than they would have been six months ago, uh, but still, uh, Spanish identity and especially mixed identities are very strong. Cat most Catalans have ambivalent identities. They're not hardcore independentists. They're neither are they hardcore uh, Spanish-oriented um, uh, nationalists. Okay, so we already saw uh, the same data, support for independence. It was, used to be very low, and then it uh, shot up in the early 2010s. Uh, it hit a peak around 2013, and then it declined, and it's only gone up slightly uh, um, since October 1st. But it's around 40% uh, right now. Um, okay, um, as I mentioned, uh, so the Catalan population is, is very heterogeneous. There is a, a, a majority that is Spanish-speaking. The rest have uh, Catalan as their first language, and that makes a huge difference uh, in terms of nationalist opinion. Support for independence is overwhelming amongst, among Catalan speakers, among Spanish speakers. It's, um, it's quite low. Here we have data from the summer, uh, from October, and we see that it's gone up a bit uh, as a result of the conflict. 
Um, but still, there's a huge uh, cleavage there. So Catalan society is extremely divided on this issue. It's not like people feel overwhelmingly in one direction. The, the overall population has, uh, is overwhelmingly in support of independence or against it. Uh, support of the population is divided, and it's associated with language, largely. Um, okay, um, we can see the same thing uh, if we look at support for the uh, vote that was held on October uh, 1st, the unilateral referendum, um, which was also um, illegal according to Spanish law and unconstitutional. Um, we see that uh, uh, just under a majority overall here supported it, thought that it was a good idea to hold a vote, even though the Spanish government said no. Um, among Catalan speakers, there was overwhelming support for it. Doesn't matter what Madrid said, they should. They thought they should do it anyways. Among Spanish speakers, there was considerable support, but it's still a minority that supported holding a, a unilateral vote. So without um, Madrid agreeing to it. Okay. So in spite of all these, um, in, in spite of the heterogeneity of Catalonia and the fact that identity is a mix, and I'm seeing that one of the authors of the paper that I'm citing here just mm -hmm. noticed that. Um, <laughs> How do we explain support for independence? Why does support for independence suddenly increase in the early 2010s? Well, if we look at um, studies from, uh, from Quebec, we know a lot of it is about political context. Uh, support for independence varies a lot over time. It depends a lot about, what, um, the, uh, about what's happening at the political level. Um, from the US context, we know that conflict between political elites matters a lot. Uh, and actually, I have a paper that uh, just came out in party politics where I show that this matters in Spain as well that when parties uh, engage in conflict, people adjust their opinions to make them more consistent with their preferred party. And that's what I, I would argue is a big part of what's happened over the past few years in Catalonia. Okay, so in spite of the fact that most um, Catalans uh, have ambivalent identities, so they identify with both Spain and, and, and Catalonia, um, what is much stronger are um, partisan attitudes. So we heard um, a bit from... Uh, from Carolina and, and from Ismael, um, but how um, a lot of this is about partisanship. We've heard a lot about how people really don't like the PP, the People's Party, the, the conservative party that's governing Spain. And that's a huge thing. So in Spain, in many ways, is very similar to the U.S. And the parties are extremely polarized. People who like one party absolutely hate the other. And that's particularly the case with the PP. It's not only the case in, in Catalonia, it's, but it's even stronger in Catalonia. So you have just under 50% of Catalans who uh, supported a nationalist party in the last election, um, but an overwhelming majority of Catalans, regardless of their uh, mother tongue, uh, they absolutely hate the, these, this is, would never vote for, that's a very extreme uh, position with respect to the PP, the party that's governing Spain right now. So um, national identity is ambivalent, um, but partisan attitudes are extremely strong. It really matters how people feel about these parties. Um, so I would argue that um, it matters because they're influencing people's views. So here I measured parties' positions in the Catalan parliament um, going back to the mid-1990s. Uh, uh, and we see that, and these are positions on nationalist issues and nationalist debates. Uh, and these are the two major nationalist parties and of the PP. And we see that there's a lot of variation over time. We're actually missing some of the smaller variations. But um, the parties were actually quite moderate um, in the mid-2000s. And then things really started to polarize in the late 2000s. Uh, before support for independence increased. So I would argue that this isn't only about the statute decision, it isn't only about the economic crisis, this started before then. And um, I, I think two things happened. One thing is that this party that was discussed uh, by, by um, both of the other presenters, um, Ciudadanos, which, which started in Catalonia, Ciudadans, representing Catalans who were very unhappy about how far nationalism had gone, uh, it arose. 
Um, so there was a very extreme anti-nationalist party that entered the Catalan parliament in 2006. It pushed the PP into more extreme anti-nationalist positions. And at the same time, there were uh, independence movements. So there were uh, more and more associations outside of parliament that were uh, mobilizing in support of independence. Uh, and in the late 2000s, they organized a number of informal votes on independence. Um, um, uh, uh, so so there, was, there, were, there was activism on both sides, uh, which I would argue led to this polarization between the parties. And this, once again, was before uh, support for independence went up. And actually, I showed, uh, using statistical models, that uh, when the nationalist parties um, change their positions, their uh, people who support those policies, a parties actually change their opinions on independence. So it's, there's actually a systematic uh, pattern here. Okay, um, some people don't believe observational evidence. I've also shown using experiments. Uh, this is an experiment I ran in Barcelona. When you show people that their party has a position that they don't agree with, but that the other party that opposes it, that they don't dis dislike, has the opposite position. We see that people change their opinions to move them closer to their party. They don't change their evaluation of either their preferred party or of the party they dislike. So parties really do influence opinions on nationalism. Um, here's another experiment I ran last year as part of a Make More Leftful Democracy Work survey. Um, so this is specifically on the issue of um, unilateral independence. So most Catalans oppose unilateral independence, even though in the 2015 election, the uh, nationalist parties ended up with a, a slim majority in the Catalan parliament. So most Catalans did not agree with unilateral independence, even though that was part of the government's uh, program. Um, but when you tell a treatment group that, um, that the PP is against it, uh, support magically goes up. So clearly, there's something about conflict here that is influencing people's opinions. When they see conflict between nationalist parties and this uh, conservative party, the PP, that most people in Catalonia, a huge majority, don't like, it makes people uh, more supportive of even a radical move. This isn't only independence. This is actually uh, unilateral independence, which uh, most people really uh, don't like in Catalonia. Um, so does this mean that uh, the nationalist parties are, or, or, or the PP are going to make everyone uh, support nationalism, or, or at least a huge majority? Well, no. Um, there are huge limits to their ability to influence Catalans, and that's because the two major nationalist parties are also... Um, disliked by most Catalans. So they can't really influence public opinion if people hate them so much. Um, but there is, they do have their, their core of 30 to 40% that supports them, and then there's some others who are willing to vote for them from time to time. Um, so none of the nationalist parties, none of the PP uh, can make people more nationalist. In this experiment, I found that this only, this only happens to people who already support nationalist parties. So people aren't influenced by the PP. It doesn't make them more nationalist if they don't like nationalist parties. So it, that, that it really is important that people have to support nationalist parties first to be influenced by them. Um, okay. So what do Catalans want now? So I've been looking at a lot of the polls recently that have come out, and there have been uh, quite a few. So this was on October 20th, uh, a week before the Catalan parliament declared independence. Um, so here, uh, people were asked, what do they want the uh, Catalan government to do? So just under 30% said they should declare independence, which is what they did. Um, 36.5% there should be an election, which is what the Spanish government ended up doing. Um, and 24.8% said they should negotiate. So there's 60% um, saying that there should be some kind of compromise. It is 60%, right? Uh, yeah, but 60% saying there should be some kind of compromise solution under 30% that, uh, saying that they should declare independence, which is what was actually done. Um, yeah, so most people want some kind of compromise. People don't want uh, these extreme positions that... Uh, the Catalan government, or even or the PP, obviously wants. And if you look, uh, the question today was who is to blame. Uh, here is a question in a poll that came out this weekend. Um, what do uh, Catalans think? 
So uh, uh, just under a majority blame the Spanish government, uh, about a, a third blame the Catalan government, and a quarter blame both. Uh, interestingly, so 75% uh, blame the Spanish government overall, 52% or it's, uh, no, it's 56% blame uh, the Catalan government. So people are dissatisfied with both elites, with elites at both the Catalan level and the Spanish level, and they want some kind of compromise solution, and that's what Catalans want. Um, I'll leave it there and we can discuss it some more. All right.